Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 15. And of course, on Sundays, we've been going through a series entitled Wilderness Wanderings. And it's really been a chapter by chapter study through the book of Numbers. We've been on this journey with the children of Israel through the wilderness and learning about these Bible stories. And this morning, we find, we find ourselves and we come to Numbers chapter 15, and we are beginning in verse number 32. Last Sunday night, uh, I preached through the first 31 verses of uh, this chapter, and I'm not going to take the time to go to preach that sermon again, but just to kind of uh, remind you or refresh your memory, uh, we, of course, dealt with in verses 1 through 31. The book of Numbers is a little bit of a unique book in the sense that uh, it's a book that has narratives, it has stories, and then it also has uh, laws. So unlike some books where uh, it's, there's really no stories and it's just kind of uh, a lot of the, the laws or chapters or portions of scriptures are like that, or other books of the Bible where it's all stories, the book of Numbers has a little bit of a mixture. And we went from chapters 13 and 14, which were f- famous stories, narratives of the 10 spies going into the promised land. And then in Numbers 15, verses 1 to 31, we dealt with a bunch of laws. And if you were here on Sunday night, if you remember, we talked about the laws for sacrifices, the laws for strangers, and the law uh, for sin. But then in verse 32, we kind of jump into uh, narrative again. And today, this morning, we're going to finish up chapter 15. And uh, there's really two headings uh, that we can put the portion of Scripture that we'll be dealing with this morning verses 32 through 41, there's two headings or two points that you can outline these verses under. And I'll just go ahead and give them to you up front, and you can write these down if you'd like. If you're taking notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to jot down some notes. I'll give you the headings up front, and then we'll go through them. The first one, the first heading uh, could be entitled, The Sabbath of the Lord, The Sabbath of the Lord. And that'll cover verses 32 through 36. And then the second heading uh, can be entitled, The Seeking of the Lord. The seeking of the Lord, and that'll cover verses 37 through uh, 41. So the Sabbath of the Lord and the seeking of the Lord, and maybe you can jot that down in advance for your notes. Now, we'll begin here with this idea of the Sabbath of the Lord, and there's a very interesting story that we find here in verses 32 through 36. In fact, this is a little bit of a controversial story, uh, if, if you're familiar with it, because of the fact that this is a story that is often brought up. People will bring up this story uh, with a big question mark and say, well, what, what is this? What, you know, and, and, and oftentimes it's brought up in a negative way, like God is mean and God is angry, and why is this story in the Bible? Numbers 15.32, notice what the Bible says, And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation, And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. And again, this is a story that's often brought up, and, and it seems the way um, it's, it's written and worded, it might seem a little extreme because you read this passage, uh, they found a man uh, that gathers sticks upon the Sabbath day, and I think when you read these words, gather sticks, you think of like a, a, a child on a picnic or something, you know, picking up uh, sticks, and then, of course, they put him in ward, and then the Lord commands that he should be pertly, surely put to death, and they stone him with stones, uh, Till he died, is what the Bible says. Uh, so oftentimes people look at the story and they think this is kind of a, a little bit of an extreme story and, and what, it is it, what is it that's going on here. And what people will often say, and the question that will be asked, or maybe they don't specifically ask the question, but this is what they mean by the question, is what's the big deal? What's the issue here? The guy is gathering sticks, and what is the big deal with uh, what he was doing. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in Numbers 15. That's our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31. If you go backwards from the book of Numbers, you go past the book of Leviticus into the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31, Numbers, Leviticus, and then Exodus, Exodus 31. And first of all, let me say this. When the Bible tells us here that he was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, you need to remember that the Sabbath day was a day, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament for the, under the Old Covenant for the nation of Israel was the seventh day of the week, which would be Saturday. Sunday is actually the first day of the week. The reason we meet on Sundays 
uh, is because of the fact that, the, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. But we should also give, always give God the first of everything. In all things, he should have the preeminence, and in all things, uh, we should put him first. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So we give God the first day of the week uh, on, on a Sunday. The Sabbath day, the word Sabbath means seventh, and it was the seventh day of the week, which is actually a Saturday, uh, and that term comes from Sabbath, of course, and, and, and they're all connected. But this was supposed to be a day of rest. This was supposed to be a day that the children of Israel took aside to not work. So when the Bible says that this man was gathering sticks, I want you to understand that it's not like he was out on a walk and he's just happened to be gathering sticks as he's uh, going on this walk. This man was working. Uh, whatever he was doing, whatever he, purpose he was gathering sticks for, um, it was for the purposes of working, making money, making income. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was building something. Maybe he sold sticks. I'm not sure. But he was gathering sticks, and he was out there working and laboring on a day that God had said uh, should be a day and was ordained to be a day of rest. And when we ask the question, what's the big deal? And if you ask the question, what's the big deal? The big deal is that God had already given a commandment regarding this. I want you to notice it there in Exodus 31 and verse 42. Exodus 31 and verse 42. Notice what the Bible says. And remember that Exodus is given before, uh, before the book of Numbers, not just uh, systematically in your Bible, but uh, these are commandments and laws that were given chronologically before we read the story in Numbers. Before we read the story in Numbers, what we read about in Exodus 31 has already been said, has already been given. It's already a known law of the Lord. Exodus 31, 14, the Bible says, Ye shall keep the Sabbath. This is a command from God. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it, notice what it says, shall surely be put to death. So God had already said, God had already given a command, God had already made it clear, I don't want anybody working on the Sabbath day, I don't want you doing anything that requires uh, work or labor, he said, I, I don't want you working on the Sabbath day, and in fact, God had put the death penalty upon the breaking of the Sabbath day. Now, of course, today we live under the New Testament in the New Testament covenant. This doesn't apply to us today. We do not keep the Sabbath. Uh, anyone in the New Testament time who is keeping the Sabbath is teaching a heresy. So when you've got Seventh-day Adventists today or, or Israel uh, uh, Judaizers uh, that call themselves Christians or Hebrew roots type people that say that you got to keep the Sabbath day, they don't know what they're talking about. The Bible's very clear about that. In fact, I was tempted to just preach on the subject of the Sabbath day today, but I'm not going to do that because we're studying the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night, and the book of Hebrews just goes into so much detail about what we no longer keep uh, from the Old Testament that I, I'm not going to go into it today. But let me just be clear about the fact that we don't have to keep the Sabbath day today. That's not a command that, that we keep today. But in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they were to keep the Sabbath day, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. Look at verse 14 there. For whosoever doeth, middle part of verse 14, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So God already said, if you work on the Sabbath day, you're going to be put to death. You're uh, the, anyone that doeth work. So again, when we see this man gathering sticks, he's not gathering sticks uh, and just, you know, doing nothing. He's working. What they found him was he was working. He was laboring on the Sabbath day. Look at verse 15, Exodus 31, 15. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, Holy to the Lord, whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Let me give you another example. Go to Exodus 35. Just to show you that this was not something that was kind of uh, uh, not known or maybe obscure. This was something that was well known for the nation of Israel, for the children of Israel under the Old Covenant. Exodus 35, look at verse 2. Exodus 35, 2 the Bible says this, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord, 
whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. So God has already been very clear about the fact that you are not to work on the Sabbath day, and he's already told them in advance what the punishment would be for someone who broke the Sabbath day, and the punishment was to be put to death. God had placed the death penalty upon the breaking of the Sabbath day. Go back to Numbers, if you would. Numbers chapter number uh, 15. You ask, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that God had already given a commandment. But what I also want you to understand is that this story is not just randomly inserted into this chapter. It's not like, it's not like Moses was writing the book of Numbers and then God was like some editor and he's like, hey, you know, I really need this story. There's a story I want added. And, you know, you missed it. We got to just put it somewhere. Just, just stick it in the middle of, of chapter 15. Okay, it's not like it's just we really want to cover the story and we don't know where to put it. Uh, let's just stick it here, you know. The reason that the story is found in Numbers 15 is for a reason. There's a purpose behind why, because it seems like when you read Numbers 15, you got these laws about the sacrifices, laws about the strangers, laws about sin, and then we just kind of randomly have the story about this guy gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and then he gets stoned and put to death. But the reason for the story is to highlight a principle that's within the context. Now, I want to back up a little bit and show you the context. We already talked about this on Sunday night, but I want you to be reminded of it. What is the context that leads us into Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, documenting this story. Well, if you remember, uh, we learned about the fact earlier in this chapter, we had laws about sacrifices, uh, burnt offerings, meat offerings, uh, peace offerings, vows. Then we had laws about strangers. Remember that we're to treat everyone the same. There were to be one law for everyone, uh, no matter whether they were born in the land or they were a stranger sojourning within the land. And then there was laws about sin. And if you remember, in this chapter, right before this story, God takes the time to explain the difference between a sin of ignorance and what we call a sin of arrogance. Notice Numbers 15 and verse 27. Numbers 15 and verse 27. Let me just remind you, the story we're dealing with regarding uh, the, the uh, man that gathered sto- sticks and was stoned is in verses 32 through 36 of Numbers chapter 15. We're going to read Numbers 27 through 31, which is the direct context in which that story is given. So what do we read about in Numbers 15, 27 through 31, right before we get the story of the man gathering sticks? Numbers 15, 27 Notice what it says. And if any soul sin through ignorance. Now, I'm not going to take the time to re-preach the sermon from Sunday night, but I just want to remind you. Remember, we learn from the Bible. Uh, and we not just not here in Numbers, but also in Leviticus and in other places, we learn that a sin, what God defines as sinning through ignorance, is when somebody did not know. That's why it's called ignorance. They didn't know that something was a sin. Um, and they, so they committed a sin through ignorance, they didn't know it, but also what falls under that category is when you did not know or when you did not intend to. If you were ignorant of what the law was or if you did not intend to, meaning you did not premeditate, meaning you did not set out to, meaning that you uh, sinned and you committed a sin, but it wasn't something that you planned ahead of time and decided, I'm going to go do this. It was something that uh, happened. You were tempted. You gave in to the temptation in the heat of the moment, but you did not premeditate to do it. And God tells us, Numbers 15, 27, and if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring the she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And let me just remind you that even when you sin through ignorance, God still holds you accountable. God still holds you accountable for sinning through ignorance, and, and you say, well, how's that fair? Here's how it's fair. God gave you a Bible that tells you everything He wants you to do in life. Amen. He already gave you all the commandments. It's not His fault you didn't read it. not His fault you didn't study it. It's not His fault you, don't, you didn't go to church uh, to learn it. So even though we sin maybe through ignorance, God still holds us accountable. But the idea is this, that God takes into account the fact that you didn't know or you didn't intend to, and therefore he allows for, and this is of course in the context of the Old Testament covenant, he allows for a sin offering. 
Look at verse 28. And the high priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. So somebody sins through ignorance. They didn't know or they didn't intend to. They commit a sin. They're still held accountable. They bring an offering, and God forgives them. Verse 29. You shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But then in verse 30, we have what I call the sin of arrogance. Not a sin of ignorance, but a sin of arrogance. The Bible calls it uh, being presumptuous. Look at verse 30. But the soul that doeth ought presumptuously. The word presumptuously or presumptuous uh, is defined as showing little respect for others by doing things you have no right to do, overstepping bounds, doing things that are not within your authority. And here's what God says. God says, you might sin, verses 27 through 29, through ignorance. You didn't know, you didn't intend to. You didn't mean to do it, but you did it. I still hold you accountable, and you can bring an offering, and you will be forgiven. But then he says, there's another category, verse 30, of someone that sins presumptuously, but the soul that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord. Here's what he's saying. When you and I know what God said, we know what God has told us to do, we know what God expects from us, we know what the will of God is, and we choose to not do it anyway. We choose to raise our fists up to heaven and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care. When we have that sin of arrogance, not ignorance, it's not that we didn't know or we didn't intend to. We planned it. We decided. We schemed it. We made uh, the, 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 the plans to go ahead and perform that sin. God says you reproach the Lord. The word reproach means to disgrace, shame, insult. I mean, the idea is, think of it on a human level. When a parent tells a child, you know, do X, Y, and Z, clean your room, take the trash out, and the child says, no! Okay, that's not ignorance. <laughs> that's not, oh man, I meant to and I forgot. That's just defiance. And by the way, parents, when your kids do that, because some of your kids do that, they're approaching you. They're making you look like a fool. They're making you look like they're in charge. They disgrace you. They shame you. They insult you. And that's how God takes it. God says, when you know what I expect and you sin against it, the same reproacheth the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people, verse 31, because he hath despised the word of the Lord. The word despise means to scorn, to disdain, and hath broken his commandments that the soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. Now that's the context in which Moses says, now let me tell you a story about a fool who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day when he knew that he wasn't supposed to, when God had already commanded he wasn't supposed to, when God had already said that, that you would uh, be put to death if you worked on the Sabbath day, this guy decided to go open up his stick-selling business and go pick up sticks on the Sabbath day, and when he did it, he did it presumptuously. He did it arrogantly. He reproached the Lord, and he despised God's word. That's the context. So don't look at the story and say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that this guy said, I'm not going to submit to God. I'm not going to submit to Moses. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to work what I want to work. I'm going to uh, gather sticks. I'll gather sticks if I want to. The issue with the story is that this was not a sin of ignorance. This was a sin of arrogance. It's not like they found this guy gathering sticks and they're like, hey, what are you doing? It's a Sabbath day. Why do you have, you know, sticks are us open on the Sabbath day? And he's like, oh, man, it's Saturday. Oh, man, I didn't know. I thought it was Tuesday. That's not what's happening here. This guy opens up his sticks are us store and says, I don't care that it's a Sabbath day. I'm going to work. I'm going to make money. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, do what God tells me to do. So what we see is that God had already given a commandment regarding this, and this man was arrogantly, presumptuously going against the Lord. 
Now, what we'll see is the reason that God comes down so hard on him. And before we do that, let me just show you uh, another story in the Bible. Keep your place there in Numbers 15, if you would. Go, go back to Leviticus chapter 24. If you go backwards from Numbers, the book before Numbers is Leviticus, Leviticus 24. In Leviticus 24, we actually have a very similar story. Different story, but it's very similar, so I just want to show it to you. <clears throat> and again, it's a completely different story. Different sin, different laws that are broken, but it's the same principle and the same idea. I just want you to see it. Leviticus 24 and verse 10. Leviticus 24, 10, the Bible says, The son of an Israelitish woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. So you have this Israelitish woman who had a son. Her father, his father was an Egyptian. And this guy is fighting. He strove with someone, another man in the camp. Look at verse 11. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And again, I don't have time to develop it, but God had made a law saying, you will not take the name of the Lord of thy God in vain. You will not blaspheme the name of the Lord, and you're not going to curse the name of the Lord. Now, that might seem odd to you because, you know, as Americans, we think that God's an American. And well, what about freedom of speech? Well, you, God said, you curse my name, you're going to be put to death. That's what he said. Amen. And the Israelite's woman's son blasting the name of the Lord and curse. And they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name was Shalomith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. Notice how it's similar to the story we saw of the man gathering sticks. And they put him in ward. You know, these two are like sellies. They're like in the same ward that are being put there that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth is God shall bear his sin, and he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. So notice a very similar story. And look, let me tell you something. The Bible says that because there are not harsh punishments that are connected to the breaking of laws, that's the reason we end up with a lawless and wicked society. And you might look at this and think, I don't know, this is extreme. I don't see how it's extreme. Uh, go, go to Luke, if you would, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I don't see how it's extreme. If God said... Don't work on the Sabbath day or you're going to be put to death. Don't blaspheme the name of the Lord or you're going to be put to death. And then someone blasphemes the name of the Lord, they knew. They weren't supposed to do it and they knew what the consequences. I don't understand what's extreme about that. But, and, but let me tell you something. The reason that we have so much crime and violence in the United States of America is because there are not harsh punishments that come with the breaking of the law. And I'm not saying that we should have laws about the Sabbath day or whatever. Obviously, we live in the New Testament. But I'm telling you, today, in the United States of America, somebody could rape a child and they won't be put to death. And all I'm saying is this. I wonder, I wonder how many guys had to be put to death for picking up sticks before they, you know, let the sticks go. This probably didn't happen a lot. In fact, the reason that it's probably highlighted is to highlight, hey, we're not messing around here. We believe the word of God. We follow the word of God. And, and, and when there was strict punishments that went along with the laws of God, then you did not have the breaking of the laws. And the reason we have so much crime in our society today is because there are no strict punishments. There aren't strict punishments today for the breaking of, of laws, which is why people just do whatever they want. By the way, this applies in your home. Mom, this applies in your home. Dad, if there are not strict punishment for the breaking of your laws, then your laws are worthless. They mean nothing. It's always interesting to me how parents want to pride themselves on just barking so much orders, but it's like there's a lot of barking but no bite. You know, when it comes to my home, I, I, I like the, the advice of Theodore Roosevelt, you know, speak quietly and carry a big stick. Or maybe carry a big paddle. <laughs> you know, you don't, it's always funny to me, parents, they like to really show off how tough they are because they scream and yell and they can count. You know, you always got the counting parents at the grocery store. It's like, I'm going to count to five. 
four, three, two and a half. It's like, spank the kid already. It's like, you got one second. You're getting a spanking. When there are not harsh punishments for the breaking of the law, the laws mean nothing. So don't judge God harshly here. We're like, why would God put someone to death for picking up sticks? Because God said not to. That's why. Because that's what God said. Luke 12, look at verse 47. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. Luke 12, 47. And this goes with this idea. And look, here's what you need to understand. A harsher punishment is given when done with knowledge. A harsher punishment. This is how God punishes, and this is how we should punish. When someone sins ignorantly, when they didn't know, they didn't intend to, obviously there's always consequences for sin. Obviously there's always consequences for wrongdoing. But we should take into account that, okay, they didn't mean to. They did it. They didn't mean to. They didn't set out to. But God says when someone knows what they should do, and when they don't do it, God says, I will deal with them more harshly and more uh, heavily when they did it intentionally, arrogantly, or presumptuously. Luke 12, 47. This is how Jesus explained it in the New Testament. And the servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not. Now look, verse, 27, verse 47, you know what that is? That's the sin of arrogance. That's the sin of presumptuously. When you knew the Lord's will and you didn't do it, the Bible says they will be beaten with many stripes. Verse 48, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, so this guy broke the law as well, but he didn't know. This is the sin of ignorance. Notice what the Bible says, shall be beaten with few stripes. Now look, they both get beaten. <laughs> but one is beaten with few stripes, one is beaten with many stripes, and he, shall, and he that knew uh, not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. You say, well, how is that fair? Here's the principle. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they shall ask the more. And look, here's what you need to understand. That when you got saved and you started coming to a church like this and you started learning the Bible, a lot of benefits came with that. A lot of benefits came with the fact that you began to learn the Bible, you began to learn God's will for your life, you began to understand, oh, that's what God wants me to do in my marriage. Oh, that's what God wants me to do with my children. Oh, that's what God wants me to do at work. Oh, that's why nobody likes me. That's why, whatever. You learned all these things from the Bible and there's a lot of great benefits and you've received a lot of benefits and you're like, wow, I've been applying these biblical principles to my life and my marriage got better, my relationship with my children got better, my work uh, situation got better, my finances are better, my health is better. There's all these benefits associated with what God has commanded you to do. But then, but then you learn something from the Bible that you don't want to do. And God says, no, 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 you don't get to take all the benefits of all the good things you've learned and then here I said do X, Y, and Z and you don't want to do that. God says, you've been given much. You've received a lot of benefits. You have uh, uh, been given a lot of blessings as a result of the knowledge that you have. But God says, when you choose to defy my word, realize that I will take that into account. That's why it's interesting to me. People come to church like this, and they're like, I don't get it. Before I was saved, or before I was coming to church, I would do X, Y, and Z. And yeah, there was bad consequences. But now it seems like I'll do the same thing, and just things are way worse. You know why? Many stripes versus few stripes. Because he which knew his Lord's will shall be beaten with many stripes. And he that knew not shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Let me give you another example where this applies in the New Testament. We saw this on Sunday night, but let me just show it to you quickly. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. If you go backwards from the end of the New Testament, you have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. See, you don't get, you don't get the benefit. You don't get to do this. Well, I want the benefit of knowing 
that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. I can't lose it. I want that benefit. Give me that information. And, and, and that way I can be saved. Because you know that people that are not saved, even if they never had and really understood a clear presence of the gospel, the Bible says they're still, they still go to hell. So you, you don't get to have the benefits. I'm saved now. Praise the Lord. Okay, well, here's the thing. Now that you're saved and you know the Bible taught you how to be saved, now you know there's a Bible. Now you know there's a word of God. Now you know there's a Holy Spirit. Now you know there's a will of God for your life. So you don't get to take that benefit and say, oh, but don't tell me anything else. No, God says you already know. You already know where the truth is. It's the King James Bible. You already know what, where my will is. It's in the word of God. And if you know and you ignore it, it's many stripes. Because a harsher punishment is given when something is done in arrogance versus ignorance. Hebrews 10.26, notice what, and Hebrews 10.26 specifically is talking about this passage, this idea of ignorance versus arrogance. For if we sin willfully, again, this isn't, I was, I was driving down the road and somebody cut me off and I said something I shouldn't have said. Now look, you shouldn't have said what you said. Or I did something I shouldn't have done. You shouldn't have done that. And that's wrong. And we shouldn't excuse that. But you know, God will take into account that, like, okay, I didn't set out to do that. It's not like I was out just looking for someone to whatever. But you know, do you understand how that's different than I'm going to go meet someone and commit adultery and plan that out? Do you understand the difference? There's a difference between I'm planning, I'm thinking, I'm organizing, I'm scheming, and I'm making these plans. To go. God says, I will come down harder on that. Because that's done with arrogance, that's done presumptuously, that's done with your fist up to God saying, I don't care what God says. So look, here's the application for you. I'd be careful. What, what is it in your life right now that you're saying? Maybe you've never said it out loud, but you're saying in your heart, I know, I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. Be careful, because God says, I will come down harder on you for that. So we see this idea of the Sabbath of the Lord. And the idea is this, that if God says don't gather six, don't gather six. <laughs> By the way, let me say this. The Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when God says, hey, read your Bible, and you say, I'm not going to read the Bible. When God says, be faithful to church, and you say, I'm not going to be faithful to church. When God says, be a soul winner, and you say, I'm not going to be a soul winner. When God says to tell the truth, and you say, I'm not going to tell the truth. Hey, when you, so it's not just the sin of commission, it's also the sin of omission. Not doing what you're supposed to do is a sin. And God says, if you know what you're supposed to do, and you don't do it, I'm going to come down harder on you. So we see the Sabbath of the Lord, and we see the principle there. And the principle is this, that God will come down hard on those who sin, uh, who sin arrogantly, and we see it in the story because they stoned him with stones till he died. And that's why Moses is bringing it up. He's trying to make this point. He got done teaching sin through ignorance, sin through arrogance. Now let me give you a real life example. There was this guy, he was gathering sticks. And he got put to death because he knew better. And he shouldn't have done it. Go back to Numbers 15. That's the first heading in this passage, the Sabbath of the Lord. Then we see a second heading, which is the seeking of the Lord. That, we find that in verses 37 through 41. And again, we, it seems random, but it's all connected. And we'll explain why as we finish up. But look, look at verse 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them, that they make fringes in the borders of their garments. Now we have God talking about clothing and, and, and giving some fashion sense here and some ideas. He says, I want them to make fringes. Now the word a fringe or fringes would be what we, we, the closest thing that we might consider would be like tassels. We'll often see like tassels, uh, maybe dangling on a curtain or something like that. He, God said, I want you to put these fringes on the borders. The word borders refers to the hem. So the, the, the borders of your garment. 
He said, throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. So God commanded that when they had clothing, a coat um, or whatever, that on the borders of the garments, they would put fringes and they would put a ribbon of blue. And we're going to see why it is that God said to do that. Uh, Well, actually, let's just look at it. Look at verse number uh, 39. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that ye seek not after your own hearts and your own eyes, after which ye used to go a-whoring. So God said, the reason that I want you to do this is that I want you to physically have something on you that when you look down and look at it, you realize, why do I have this fringe on my garment? Why do I have? And I go, of course, this is in the Old Testament. This was the Old Testament covenant. This is not something that we're supposed to do today. But we can learn from this and apply it to our lives today. And today, even today, you have Jews that follow this because they, they didn't get the memo. The Old Testament's done. We're in the New Testament. But the idea was for these Old Testament believers was that they would look down at their clothing and realize, oh, yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm a member of the children of Israel. I seek the commandments of the Lord and I seek the will of God. So it was something that they did to remind themselves and to remember them. And look, today you can read books that will teach you things about developing new habits, and they'll teach stuff like this. You know, have visual reminders, have things you look at every day that remind you. And this is what God was doing. He was to put a visual reminder on their clothing to remind them to keep the commandments of the Lord. Now, when I think of this, here's what I think of. You know, there's, there's a phrase that uh, says, uh, if you've ever heard of like wearing one's heart on your sleeves? And usually if you say, if you say to someone like, you know, quit wearing your heart on your sleeve, um, the idea is that you're wearing your heart, when you're wearing your heart on your sleeve, that you're, you're openly showing your feelings and, and your emotions rather than keeping them hidden, you know, rather than keeping them more confidential. You're just like, someone's just really open about your emotions. So, if, if, you know, if somebody's ever said, quit wearing your heart on your sleeve, they're saying, Stop being such a stinking emotional mess, all right? That's what they're telling you. Um, the idea is like you, you got your heart, like instead of having your heart in your chest, in your cavity, you got it right here on your sleeve. You're just, just open for everybody. When I th- see this passage, what I, the way that I think of it is uh, what we see is a, a, a case of wearing your religion on your sleeve. You know, literally, wearing your religion on your hem. Just wearing, because if someone saw you with these, fringes and the blue ribbon on the hem, they knew, oh, there's someone who's following the commandments of God. So these people, so the, the implication is that this was something that an individual did in order to remind themselves of who they were, but also it was this outward thing that people saw and said, well, there's someone who's following the commandments of God. So what can we learn from that? Well, go, go to the New Testament. Go to John, if you would. John chapter 12. I had you go to Luke. I don't know if I asked you to keep your place there. I meant to have you keep your place there. But if, if you kept your place there, you can just go to John, which is right after Luke. If not, it's, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 12. And keep your place there in that kind of area. John 12, 42. You know, here's the idea the idea and the, 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 applica- the spiritual application for a New Testament believer is not, don't show up tonight with a ribbon on your hem, okay? <laughs> You're like, we're not Jews, all right? <laughs> but the spiritual application is this, that you should not be ashamed of your religion. That you should not be ashamed of God. That you should not be ashamed that, look, it should not be shameful for you to, to eat. And, and look, by the way, God even says, in their outward appearance, there was something outwardly that showed people, hey, there's a follower of Jehovah God. There's a believer. So the idea is this, that we should not be ashamed of our religion. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, among the, cho- the chief uh, rulers also, John 12, 42, I want you to know this is, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, 
they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Here we have an example of people that the Bible says they were among the chief rulers of the Jews, and they believed on Jesus, but they did not confess him outwardly. They didn't tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, because they were ashamed, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Look at John 19 and verse 38. John 19 and verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, John 19, 38, Joseph, uh, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, notice what the Bible says, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. I mean, think about that. Here we have a secret service Christian. Like, oh, I'm I'm a Christian, but and secretly. That's why I watch all the sermons online, but I don't ever actually show up to church because I'm a secret Christian. For fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. Uh, He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. So look, here's the application. The application is this: that. In the Old Testament, they literally had something that identified them as Christians. And in the New Testament, we should not be ashamed to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. The Bible says that we should not be ashamed. And again, we don't, we don't wear blue ribbons to identify ourselves as followers of Christ. But hey, let me say this. Your clothing should identify you as a Christian. You should look different. You should, uh, there should be something different about you that says, look, you should not look like some sort of hip-hop thug. Oh, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Why do you look like that? You think that's what Jesus would have looked like? You know, Jesus submitted himself to the laws of God. So you know what Jesus had? He had fringes on his hem. He had a blue ribbon on his hem. He had... He, he, he did this. We know that he followed all the commandments of God. So he did it. And look, here's what I'm saying is you need to take a stand for God and not be ashamed. Think about the different things. This was something public. What about water baptism? What is the point of water baptism? Is it to save you? No. Because salvation is not of works. There's nothing you need to do to be saved. Amen. What is the point of getting baptized? The point of getting baptized is to publicly identify with Christ. Because salvation is something that happens in your heart. It happens in your mind, in your soul. But when you get in the water and you come and you're sitting there and the water crosses your body, it pictures the cross of Christ. And when you come down, it pictures the death of Christ. And when you come up, it pictures the resurrection of Christ. And when somebody gets baptized, they are publicly saying, I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you say, well, I've never been baptized because I'm too embarrassed, you need to get right with God. Why are you ashamed of Jesus? People say, well, I'm not going to go soul winning because you guys knock on doors. And what if I knock on the door of somebody I know? <laughs> get them saved. <laughs> and look, I'm not, I, I get it. But what I'm saying is you and I need to be willing to identify ourselves publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when your friends at work invite you to go out to the bar... Don't be some secret service Christian. Like, well, I, I mean, I, I went with the, I didn't drink. I just had water, but, you know, I just sat there, told the bartender when nobody was looking, just get water, just water. <laughs> no, you know, I'm not saying be mean, but you should tell the people at work, hey, I'm a Christian. Amen. I, don't, I don't drink alcohol. Amen. And I'm not going to go sit at a bar with you. You know, if you'd like, let's go do something Baptist. Let's go to a hometown buffet. <laughs> We're good at that. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying be mean to people. I'm not saying, in fact, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But I am saying this, you should not be ashamed of your religion. Amen. Ladies, don't be ashamed to dress modestly. Men, don't, don't dress like the world and try to look like the world, try to be like the world. Hey, allow yourself to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, not only should we not be ashamed of our religion, but we should not be proud in our religion. Because it's really interesting, this idea that we see in Numbers about the, the hem of the garment, it comes up in the New Testament. Let me show, show it to you. Go to Matthew 23. You're there in John. Matthew 23. 
Look at verse 5. Matthew 23 and verse 5, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. Now, Jesus often would rail on the Pharisees because they did things for a show. Notice what he says they do. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, wait a minute. God told them to to put a ribbon of blue and to put fringes on their garments. But then Jesus comes along and says, you know, you're taking it a little too far. When they're just, when they're just, they're, 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 they're enlarging it to a place where they're just trying to bring attention to us. Look how religious I am. Verse 6, And love the uppermost rooms of the feast and the chief seats of the synagogue and the greetings in the market and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So look, the Bible says, the Bible says that you, that we, it's interesting to me because God is showing us there's this delicate balance. He said, put a ribbon on your hem that's blue with fringes so that it identifies you and your religion. But then Jesus, who did that, looks at the Pharisees and says, you're taking it too far. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, doth not nature itself teach you that a man should not have long hair? The Bible literally teaches. Some of you, you might, you might not realize the Bible said that. Maybe you're like, oh, you know, I have long hair or I've had long hair, and I didn't know the Bible said that. Well, that was a sin of ignorance. But, you know, now that you know the Bible teaches that, you shouldn't do it. Amen. And, you know, especially in this culture, I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want anybody to think I'm anywhere close being a transvestite. Right. God said he wants the differences between men and women, and one of those differences is the length of hair. He wants men to have short hair. He wants women to have long hair. You know, the Bible also says that a man should not put on a woman's garment and that a woman should not put on a man's garment. The Bible clearly teaches that. And again, maybe that's new to you and you're like, I've never heard that before. The Bible clearly teaches that you should not put on that men... And and look... I used to preach this 10 years ago, and people were like, that's crazy. Now it's just like, yeah. I mean, that's the push in our society today. Men putting on dresses and skirts like women. But you know, the Bible identifies the clothing of a man as pants. So let me just tell you something. As, as bad as it is for a man to put on a skirt and a dress, women should not wear pants. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Now, you might be here this morning and say, I've never heard that before. Well, look, we're not mad at you. And if you've done that, or maybe you're wearing pants, I don't know, honestly, like, people get mad at me for stuff, and I'm just like, look, if you're wearing pants, if you're a lady wearing pants this morning, I don't know that. And I'm not even, we're not mad at you, we love you, we're glad you're here. It's not your fault that nobody's preaching these things. But what I'm saying is this, God, God wants there to be a separate, and look, God even cares about how you dress. God even cares about your clothing. And a great way to identify yourself as a Christian, ladies, is to just wear modest clothing and wear a dress. Because when my wife and I are out in the store, and we see a lady in a modest dress and skirt, and, we, and her daughters are in a modest skirt and dress, you know what we think? We think, there's something. They're, I mean, I'm not saying they're Baptists, but there's something. There's some sort of religion. Because you don't see that today. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see a family out there, and, 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 and the man has a, a sharp, short haircut. His shirt's tucked in. He doesn't look like a drug addict. His, his wife's in a, in, a, in, a, in a modest dress. Daughters are in modest clothing, skirts. The boys look. You know, you think to yourself, there's some, that, I don't know what they are, but there's something. There's some sort of Christian. Ident- they've identified themselves. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. Amen. That's good. That should be something, there should be something different about us in the way we act and look. And by the way, the way you dress is the way you'll act. It's true. This is why I don't recommend you going to Walmart at 2 in the morning in your pajamas. <laughs> it's just because then you're, then you're going to become that. Your clothing and your outward appearance, Jesus taught this, it's an extension of your heart. So God says, look, 
he, he tells them, put something on your clothing that identifies you as a Christian. That's good for you to remind you, but it's also good for others. Because look, when you tell, if you tell the men at your job, hey, God bless you guys, I don't drink and I'm not going to go to a bar, but, you know, we, you know, yeah, let's, let's grab a pizza or whatever. But, you, you know, if you take that stand, though, and you should be kind, don't be this arrogant Pharisee, I don't drink, you're so wicked. Yes, we shouldn't treat people like that. Do you understand that you can take it to an extreme? Let's talk about clothing standards again. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. I believe in conservative Christianity. I believe in following what the Bible says. I believe women should look like women and men should look like men. It's not that confusing. Just go to, a, go to any restroom. You know what you'll see? You'll see a man with legs, with pants, and you'll see a woman with a skirt. It's not that complicated. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can take it. Here's the modern-day equivalent of a Pharisee. How about the Amish? Who just take it to an extreme. And that's not modest either because when my family and I are in the airport and you see some Mennonite or Amish family walking through the airport or whatever, you're like, yeah. They're like the Pharisees who just take it to an extreme just to make a show out of it. You understand that? The Bible teaches that as Christians, our life should be a life of balance. One of these days, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on just balance in the Christian life. Because one thing I've learned with Christians is they, they want to be on these extremes. They'll be like super strict on one end, and then when that doesn't work, then they just get super liberal on the other end. It's like, well, the problem was that you were an extreme, so solving that doesn't mean go on another extreme. It means just live a balanced life. Where you love God and serve God and do right by God, but you're not also just having this arrogant, angry attitude, throwing it in people's faces and being mean. Jesus called out the Pharisees for making broad their phylacteries and enlarging the borders of their garments. But here's the thing. Go to Luke chapter 8. Here's what we know. Jesus himself had fringes and ribbon of blue on his hem. We know that because the Bible says he followed the Old Testament law, so he would have done what Numbers 15 told him to do. What's interesting is that there's even a story in the Bible that highlights his hem. You probably know it, but let's look at it. Luke 8, 43. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon the physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. The Bible here tells us that she touched the border or the hem of his garment. I just think it's interesting that there's a story in the Bible that highlights the hem of Jesus being touched. There's a sermon in the Bible where Jesus is uh, preaching against enlarging the borders of your garments, and then there's a command in the Bible that tells them to put ribbons of blue on their hems, what does this tell you? This tells you that Jesus followed that law. He had hems. <laughs> and if he had hems, he had blue, blue ribbon on them, and he had uh, the fringes on them. But then he preached against the Pharisees because they took it too far. So look, just live, the, live a balanced life. And by the way, here's also what this means. Just because you have good right dress standards because you've been taught the truth, don't look down on people that don't. You're, you're going to become some Pharisee? You see some new believer at the store, maybe they're not dressed the way you think. You don't look down at them and treat them bad. And, and where do you come from, the club? <laughs> look, just love people. Amen. Me being right with God does not require making everyone else feel bad. And if that's the reason you're right with God, you're not right with God. So we need to live a balanced life. We need to live a life... So what's the implication? The implication is this, that in the Christian life, we should live our lives outwardly in such a way where we can be identified as New Testament believers. And if that's in your clothing, it should be in your clothing. If it's just in the things you do publicly, it should be in those things. And this should not be a point of arrogance. This should not be a point of pride. We should, there should, we should have this balance. I'm not ashamed of my religion, but I'm also not just proud in my religion. Like some Amish Pharisee who's just looking down on everyone else. That's wrong, too. That, there, there's something wrong with your heart there. So that's the implication. Now look at the application. Numbers 15, look at verse 39. Numbers 15, 39. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it 
and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And seek ye not after your own heart, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. It's interesting that God says, I want you to look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. The reason that God wants you to know what the Bible says is so you can do it. So you can be blessed and so that you don't cross lines that cause you to be judged by God. But notice he says, seek not after your own heart. You know what the Bible says in Jeremiah? It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The world today will tell you, follow your heart. Don't do that. Don't follow your heart. It'll lead you in the wrong way. It'll lead you astray. It'll lead you down the wrong path. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God says, seek not after your own heart and your own eyes. Judges tells us that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But you should remember and do. So why would God put such an emphasis on this? He said, I want you to put ribbons of blue on the hem of your garments with fringes to remember the commandments of God. Why would God do that? Here's what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 17. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. God emphasizes the idea of remembering and memory a lot throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you'll notice that God is constantly telling them, make up a memorial, make a memorial to remember what God did here, what God did there. And you say, why does God emphasize it? You know, I've learned this over the last 13 years of ministry, that the reason that God emphasizes this so much is because we like to forget. I mean, it's really interesting to me. That as a pastor, it's not like I get up here one time. One time, you know, back in 2013, I preached a sermon where I showed you from the Bible that you need to read your Bible every day. And since then, everyone's just reads their Bible every day. I wish, I wish that was the case. That doesn't happen. So you know what I have to do? It's constantly be reminding you, hey, read your Bible. The Bible says to read your Bible. The Bible says that you should be reading your Bible every day. You know what I have to do is remind you, hey, God wants you in church on Sunday morning. God wants you in church on Sunday night. Hey, God wants you in church on Wednesday night. You know what I have to do? I have to remind you, hey, don't forget about your prayer life. Don't forget about your prayer life. Make sure you're devoting some time during the week to, to, to pray to the Lord and, and to seek his, his favor and guidance and blessing. You know what I have to remind you? I have to remind you, hey, don't forget about soul winning. Say, why do you always have to be reminding us? Because we, we, we're not, human beings are not the people like, oh, I'm supposed to go soul I wish this was the case. And it is the case for some people, but they're very few. Some people, you tell them, hey, the Bible says you're supposed to be a soul winner, and they're like, I will be a soul winner for the rest of my life. But that's not most people. Most people have to be reminded. Did you read your Bible? Have you been prayer, praying? How's your prayer life? I'm not giving you an example right now. I'm asking you, how's your prayer life? How's your Bible time at home? How's your church attendance? You've been missing a lot of church lately? How's your soul winning? Been skipping out a lot of soul winning lately? How, how are you doing in your Christian life? Because we have to be reminded because we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency, like Hebrews taught us, to let things slip. We have a tendency to just slide back. And we constantly have to be reminded. We constantly have to be reminded, hey, God wants you men to work and work hard. Hey, hey, men, God wants you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Hey, ladies, God wants you to submit to your husbands and reverence him. Hey, children, God wants you to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Say, so why do you have to be reminding these things over and over? Why do you guys, you know, we've been, uh, all, all our YouTube channels got shut down and stuff, and we've been uh, reorganizing all the sermons. And I, I've been shocked, like, how many sermon series I've preached on the family, how many sermons I've preached on, on these basic things. But then I think to myself, well, it has to be preached on a regular basis because we have a tendency to forget. And we have to be reminded over and over again. Be reminded. Remember. God says that they may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which ye go a whoring. And look, that's, that, this is Old Testament, but that's New Testament Christianity. 
you, you come to church, and you know what we do is we realign you. We take your eyes, and we focus them on Jesus. And then on Monday morning, you're like, Jesus, Jesus. And, but then it like, starts going like this. And, and by Saturday, it's like lottery, <laughs> football, other stupid things that don't matter. And then we're like, no, 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 Jesus. And you're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. You have to come in every week for your alignment. We're aligning you. Amen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the most important thing. He's the only thing. That's what your life is about. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we have to be reminded and readjusted. How's your Bible reading? How's your prayer time? How's your soul winning time? How's your church attendance lately? How's your relationship with your children? You been spending time with your kids, Dad? How's your marriage going? Maybe you got to focus on that. Give that some attention. We have to be reminded over and over, remember and do all my commandments. And be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these passages of Scripture. Lord, help us to understand these principles. We learn from the story of the Sabbath day that you will come down harder on those of us that have knowledge. So help us to have that knowledge and help us to apply it to our lives. And we learn from the story of the hymns that you expect us to identify ourselves as Bible-believing Christians. And you expect us to remember and be reminded to do the right thing. And Lord, I pray you'd help us in these areas of our lives. We're prone to wander. We're prone to slip away, to slide back. Help us to get back on track, to do the things you've asked us to do, and to not sin arrogantly against you. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you that we've got some clipboards in the uh, foyer there for you for the harvest party. We've got clipboards for uh, cornbread.